You're listening to Lies and Half-Truths, tales written and performed by A.P. Weber. This episode is the exciting finale of our seven-part fantasy adventure series, Cascade Rock. So make sure you're caught up on the previous six episodes before continuing. Ready? Last time, Ven and Darl settled their differences in the belly of Raywind's temple, only to have Adracia turn on them as the Lord of Teeth's chief lieutenant, Lord Herath, arrived in the sanctuary. This could be a tragic end to the brothers' quest. It's Cascade Rock, Part 7. spoke, his voice was so full of gristle and menace, one wondered if he were capable of speaking in another way. We fed these brutes at best to do, he said. Not nearly, Adresha laughed sardonically. I was merely using them as pack mules for the Baron's treasure. Darl and Ven stood still, eyes darting around the chamber at each of the other four individuals. And the map? Lord Herath growled. I lost a man to a booby trap on the way down. This better have been worth it. Adracia placed her dagger under Ven's chin. With her other hand, she reached into his coat and withdrew the parchment. Such a shame, my lord. She said as she did this. If only you had not lost patience, I would have delivered to you the map, the treasure, and these fools. But no matter. Baron Redway will be pleased with you, even less one man. Seeing the map, Herath muttered to his men. Kill the deserter and his brother. Adracia stepped forward. I wouldn't do that, she said. Not unless you want to carry all of this gold up those stairs on our own. Herath cocked a scar-divided eyebrow at her, but stayed his men. The Baron did not send us to collect treasure, he said. He sent us for the map. And why the map if not for treasure? Redway keeps his own counsel in that regard. Lord Herath muttered. Of course. But come look. I'm sure you'd agree. There's at least one item that is worthy loot for a warrior of your caliber. Herath eyed Adracia momentarily. Then, Kneel, he ordered the halfkin. Hands on your heads. The brothers complied rapidly. Herath gave his men a wary look 
an implied order to kill the Hafkin brothers should anything go amiss. Then he followed Idratia to the stone steps leading down into the sanctuary. I told you not to trust her, Darl muttered, then looked straight ahead and did not reply. He was listening to what was happening below. They could hear Hirath's booming growl echo about the chamber, filled with awe and power lust. This is the weapon of a god. What blessings might it bestow on its wielder? Adresha mused. That is but one way to find out. Imagine having your own powerful mark of authority. Even Baron Redway, the Lord of Teeth, would fear a lieutenant with such a weapon. Herath grunted his approval. At this, the crossbowmen exchanged curious glances. One nodded, the other crossed to the edge of the sanctuary, next to Darl to look. Then Indarl could hear Herath grunt with effort. Then they heard the shriek of the weapon scraping away from the statue's stony grip. The granite beneath them trembled and roared with the fury of shifting stone. The crossbowman beside Darl gasped. Without warning, Darl leapt to his feet and slammed his shoulder into the crossbowman's back. The soldier fell forward with a cry of terror. Even as Darl did this, the heavy twang of the other crossbow sounded out. Darl clutched at a bolt protruding from his thigh. The second crossbowman threw down his now-spent weapon, drew a short sword from his hip, and charged the big halfkin. While their enemy closed the distance, then saw, out of the corner of his eye, water rising in the sanctuary, weeds grasping and swirling around the body of the fallen soldier. Herath gripped the golden harpoon, held aloft in his one functioning hand. His face was a mask of vain glory. Then spun on his knee and wheeled the heel of his other foot around, just as the charging swordsman achieved striking distance of his brother. The enemy tripped forward at the contact and stumbled headlong into Darl. Ben leapt up and dashed to where the spent crossbow lay on the ground. Get the quiver, Ben called. But looking up, he saw only Darl standing near the ledge, emerald blood dripping from the bolt in his leg. He's in the weeds, Darl shrugged. The sounds of splashing and the clashing of weapons rang out from the sanctuary. Ben rushed over to his brother. In the sanctuary below, Adracia defended the steps from Herath's advance. The massive, battle-hardened warrior stood knee-deep in the water, striking at her with his blade hand. He held the goddess's harpoon raised overhead like a javelin. If Adracia's plan was to prevent Herath from gaining the stairs so that he would be entangled in the grasping weeds, the plan was not working. The weeds parted around the assaulting lord, but nipped at Adracia's toes as the liquid rose. We have to help her! Darl cried above the din of battle and rushing water, then held the crossbow impotently. I don't have a bolt. Adracia brought all her considerable fencing skills to bear on her defense against Herath's relentless, brutal assault, and yet she still retreated up the stairs. Deflecting a strike, she tried to step backward, only to have her feet hold fast in the ankle-deep water. She fell against the stairs. 
Pressing his advantage, Herath stabbed down at her with the harpoon. She swung her short sword in a defensive arc. The tip of the harpoon glanced off her blade and dug into the steps beside her. With her free hand, she seized the shaft of the divine weapon and held it in place. Herath reared up with his blade hand for another strike, only to stop short. Adresia glanced back at the Hafkin brothers above her, then held a spent crossbow at his shoulder. Darl clutched at a bleeding wound in his thigh. Herath let go of his hold on the goddess Raywin's harpoon to grasp at the crossbow bolt that had lately been embedded in Darl's leg but was now lodged in his throat. He stumbled backward into the rising water and was consumed by grasping weeds. Adresha stood and weighed the divine weapon in her hand. It was heavy, but so perfectly balanced it almost felt light. The water deepened around her as she wondered at the weapon, but the terrible weeds did not ensnare her. She placed the weapon on her shoulder, then turned and trudged up the stairs. Let's go, she said as the water poured down the walls, rapidly filling the chamber. We need to put the harpoon back, Ben said. It's too late for that, Adresia replied. As soon as I let go of it, the weeds would drag me down. Let's go. Water had already filled the sanctuary, and the green tendrils below the surface twitched and swayed in the anticipation of grasping their evasive victims. Darl tried to heft his pack, but winced at the pain in his leg. Leave it. Ben said, we have enough. With a thunderclap, a crack appeared in the ceiling near the corner of the wall, and water began to stream down the stones. Damn it, Darl grunted, pressing his palm against his thigh. He snatched up the millet sack of treasure and limped toward the stairwell, then slipped under his shoulder. I'll help, said the smaller brother. And I'll take the rear, Adresia said, letting the brothers go first into the stairwell. The weeds won't harm me as long as I hold this harpoon. So they proceeded, hurrying up the stairs, exhausted and panting, daring not to pause too long for fear of the rising water and crumbling stone. The walls shook and the floor beneath them quaked the entire ascent. The pictorial story of the warring gods cracked and crumbled with every tremor. They found themselves holding on to each other from time to time, just to keep their feet but they reached the temple's antechamber before the water did and proceeded on through the final passage as crystalline sheets formed from every seam and crack in the temple's mortar. They found the dead soldier Herath had mentioned trapped between the glowing moss and a rack of spikes. They noted this with grim silence and carried on. Moments later, they stumbled out into the open air. The sunlight, angling from the west, struck them like maternal kisses. It had not, until that moment, occurred to each just how oppressive had been the light of that eerie moss. Get in the boat, Adresha commanded. I have a bad feeling this temple is going to sink. A growl of confirmation shook the stone beneath their feet. I knew there was a boat behind us. 
Darl mumbled with a weary grin as he leaned upon his brother's shoulder. His face looked blanched, barely a green splotch, to evince the exertion of their climb from the temple. Yeah, yeah, Ben said. You're very smart and heavy. He leaned his brother against the boat, but Darl tumbled backward inside. Seeing the flow of Darl's emerald blood, Ben cursed. I need to bind his wound, he told Adresia. Do it, then, Adresia said. Then she threw the harpoon into the boat, sawhorsed herself in as well, and began hoisting the sails. But climb aboard, because we are getting out of here. Ben tossed Darl's millet bag into the boat and climbed in. Darl shimmied onto a bench and leaned heavily against the interior of the hull. Ben pulled off his coat and tore a sleeve from his blouse. Oh, Darl said, trying to sound mirthful, but his voice was too weak and his words were mushy. You didn't have to ruin your shirt for me. You saved our lives, Ben said, pulling the makeshift bandage tight around his brother's thigh. Just try to relax. Darl made a weak, tusky grin and jutted his jaw to Dracia. She saved us. Ben glanced at the bounty hunter as the sails filled with wind. He was about to agree with his brother when he saw that Adracia was navigating a direct course to Cascade Rock through the center of the lake. He shot up. We have to get to the shore, he cried. She scowled at him. Why? Before he could answer, a sudden swell lifted the boat, sending Van toppling against the bench. All three halfkin peered over the side of the boat. A white trunk the size of a giant redwood slipped serpentine beneath them. It swam several feet below the lake's surface, but still displaced water in a massive V. The Leviathan, Ben whispered. Adresia nodded. Let's get to shore, she said and banked the vessel. But just as the little boat was making its charge toward the tree line, the water before them roiled and burst upward in a geyser of white. The monstrous form of the Leviathan had exploded from the deep, cutting off their route to the shore. Its great maw gaped, and a deep, booming roar shattered the air. For a moment, the terrible creature seemed to hang against the skyline at the zenith of its flight. But then, its toothy maw fell, pulling its long, thick body with it. The Leviathan slammed into the lake with a boom, sending yet another explosion of water crashing into the halfkin vessel. Water poured over the unhappy sailors. The boat rocked like a bassinet. Adracia whipped wet locks from her face. It's the wrath of Raywin, she cried over the churning of the water and the creaking of the boat. It wants the harpoon. They could see the Leviathan underwater again, wheeling around to point its dreaded nose at the vessel. It's charging us, Ben cried. The boat off-weighted momentarily as Darl pushed himself to his feet. He snatched up the harpoon. What are you doing, Darl? Ben said. A vein of water streamed toward them as fast as a charging steed, clenched, sword-like teeth visible at the head of the swell. I'm going to give it the harpoon, Darl muttered and reared back with the projectile weapon. Before either of the other two halfkin could intervene, the Leviathan emerged from the water. 
Darl flung the harpoon with a cry of pain and fury. The weapon flew true, gleaming gold in the late afternoon sun. The mouth of the monster seemed almost to rise to meet it. Moments later, they found themselves alone on the lake. The waves tossing their vessel was the only evidence that a great monster of the deep had menaced them. The ziggurat had vanished below the water's surface. Somehow, they had survived that strange encounter. Darl lay on the bench, panting and drenched. Ben stared at his brother. How'd you know that would work? He said. Darl shrugged. It's like Mama said. Just do something. Even if you're not sure if it's the right thing. That's not what she said, Ben laughed. But I'm glad that's what you heard. Darl shrugged again and turned his head toward Adracia. Why didn't you tell us Hirath had come with you? He asked. She stood and began to sort out the tangled rigging. I guess I hadn't decided if I thought you were going to double-cross me yet, she said. Then slumped onto the bench next to the tiller. After all that talk about trusting each other. Do you trust us now? Darl asked. The sails filled with wind once more. No, but maybe, she said. There was the slightest hint of a smile on her lips. And so it was. In the age of the immortal emperor Perennius Zet, three halfkin bound their fates together in a wild land full of wonder and mystery. They could not have known it, but as they sought to gain and retain a great fortune, long-forgotten gods stirred in their slumber, disturbed by the Hafkin's probing of their derelict realm. But the further exploits of these intrepid adventurers must be told at another time. The End Thank you for listening to Lies and Half-Truths. This episode was written and performed by A.P. Weber and produced by Meg Weber. Our theme was provided by Josiah Martins. Original music by Weep Bar. Musical production help from Mackenzie Stuppert. Consider liking, sharing, or reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to it. You can also support me, A.P. Weber, on Patreon. In any case, please join us again next time for more lies and half-truths.